This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 82, looking at Luke Cage, season 1, episode 8, blowing up the spot. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 82, where this week, or this day, I should say, we are looking at Luke Cage, episode 8, season 1, blowing up the spot. Well, guys, we're back. I'm in charge for today. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> okay, it's, it's it's almost like it comes down once every three to- three episodes, but it, it feels longer sometimes. Pretty much. We did mess it up with the Doctor Strange preview episode, and we'll probably mess it up again with the Doctor Strange movie episode, but yeah. our Luke Cage episodes anyway have been ordered the correct way, so... Yeah, no, and it's a good thing, because who doesn't love my dulcet tones? Exactly. My dulcet tunes, I should say. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm one of your hosts. I'm one of the other hosts, John. And I'm your final host, Derek. Okay, guys. So all three of us are here. Yes. We're, we're running a record now. Eight episodes in and not one of us has to drop out yet. Yes. So fingers crossed, touching wood. <laughs> this is going well. Uh, is this a, a sign of things to come? Chris? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're fine. I think we're good. We're doing I, pretty well so yeah. far. Not too, mo- not too many more episodes left to go. But it might, we might change. We might change. We might have an episode here or there that only has two of us on it. But there will always be two. And hopefully three for all of them. But great to be back for another and episode. And then there will be one. And then there'll be one. I'll, I'll finish the season on my own. <laughs> you are the Highlander. <laughs> there can be only one. Anyway, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. If you can subscribe by going over to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. Subscribe to us on any Android device. You can also go through the website there at DefendersTVPodcast.com to subscribe to our podcast on any good podcast catcher. Or you can just search for Defenders TV Podcast on any podcast catcher of your choice, whichever one you use, we're over on. Indeed. And if you want to show your thoughts or views or comments on any of the episodes of Luke Cage, any of our podcast episodes where we discuss Luke Cage, uh, please come and join us. You can um, join us over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. We are at Defenders Cast on Twitter. And of course, if you want, you can send in your feedback by email at feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com. And as well, if you want to hear your own dulcet tones on the podcast, you can leave us a 90 second um, comment or discussion point over on our website. Uh, it's just to the right hand side of the screen as you go to our website, which is www.defenderstvpodcast.com. Surprisingly enough. Right. But you don't have to use the www if you don't want to. No, no, I'm just doing it old school. I like it. I like it. I'm going to just go dub, dub, dub now, just to really annoy you. <laughs> dub, dub, dub. New school versus old school there, I think. Well, yeah. I think new school is just without the WW or dub, dub, dub. Yeah. So, in theory, I'm mid-school. Mid-school? Yeah, somewhere yeah. in somewhere. Somewhere there. <laughs> I'm going to go dub, W, dub. 
just to fit in between the two years. Anyway, anyway, on that nerdy, nerdy website chatter. I think it's time to get into the episode, guys. I think we have to. I think we do too. Yeah. Uh, so episode eight of Luke Cage, Blown Up the Spot, was written by Aida Mashaka Corral. Uh, formerly, she wrote on the TV show Turn. She did a couple episodes of that show. It's a show about the American Revolution with Jamie Bell in it, um, which you may remember. It was on a couple of years ago. Um, the episode was directed by uh, Nor- Norwegian director Magnus Martens. Uh, he's directed episodes of Power, 12 Monkeys, and he's directed a recent episode of this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we haven't seen yet because it's not being released in Europe until early next year, sadly. My favourite TV show, and I'm waiting months to see episodes. But then you can binge. Exactly, so I will. Well, no, they'll still be released once a week, yeah. sadly. And uh, uh, Not so, Netflix. No. Not Netflix, sadly. But anyway... At least we know this is another person in the Marvel TV universe that's popping over to uh, to Luke Cage, which is quite cool. They're getting them all. They're getting them all. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us in this episode with your synopsis? Sure. While Luke Cage recovers from his first ever bullet wound with the help of Claire Temple, Misty Knight is trying to find Cornell Stokes' killer. Mariah Dillard seeks help from Shades to put some distance between her and the crime and uses receptionist Candice, a supposed eyewitness to the murder, to point the finger squarely at Luke Cage. But Misty finds the need to pursue Mariah as too much evidence is pointing her way. Still under the care of Claire Temple, Luke is attacked again by a former friend, Willis Stryker, a.k.a. Diamondback. Their paths have been intertwined all along. Willis is the cause of all of Luke's problems and brings more to bear as another explosive Judas bullet pierces Luke's now breakable skin. Wow, yeah, so um, shot twice in two episodes. He's not looking so unbreakable anymore. And uh, yeah, he looked pretty vulnerable uh, in this episode. And I kind of, for one, thought this was really cool. It just added that other dimension. Um, I did like the the shock of it as well, that uh, you know Luke Cage is kind of going, what the... F- uh, is going on because he's been shot twice. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really weird way to end two episodes in a row. Now, I know everybody's been binge-watching this, and as you know, listeners, we don't binge-watch. We watch an episode and then podcast about it, so probably feels a bit weirder for us. But we ended episode seven with Luke shot on the ground in Claire Temple's arms, and now we end episode eight with him shot in a garbage truck being taken off in the streets of New York or streets of Harlem. I think it was a bit weird to end two episodes back to back that way. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm agree. It was a good episode overall, but just why they had to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. The, they even did the top shot down. Yeah. I think it's, is it top shot, is it called? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, top shot. So they, they ended exactly the same. Top shot looking at Luke's bleeding corpse yeah I I just thought it was weird I know I know again listeners we're probably going a bit upside down here we're going a little bit stranger things by starting at the end of the episode with the shot but I just immediately went okay the credits have rolled now again on a Luke shot just thought it was a bit strange but yeah I mean we discussed five points obviously for anyone who is um, just joining us and hasn't listened to the podcast before we do five points uh, not necessarily in in order even though Derek does kind of like them to be in order I like the flow yeah but um, (laughs) he's kind of likes that OCD element whereas uh, I kind of like to mix it up and I think with that and with what you two have just said that leads me on to my first point which is you know shoot me once shoot me twice for me i had no problem with this book ending of the end of um episode seven and episode eight with effectively um 
the shooting of Luke Cage again by Willis Stryker. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. Again, it just highlighted his vulnerability. But I suppose more of this is that we do see that the bullet has exploded uh, within Luke Cage's body. Uh, we have that ultrasound moment where it looks like he's giving birth to a really pointy baby. Uh, or something, a fragmented baby, I should say. The bullet has exploded. But we do get some explanation because we were wondering whether uh, Chris and myself had heard a little pop or something like that. Our pop filter will hopefully have caught, caught that, so you may just have heard absolute silence. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if our pop filter works, you won't have just heard my pop. Yeah, so we see the ultrasound and we see um one of those Judas bullets hitting the wall in that kind of underground hospital. Oh, so we, yeah. they yeah. definitely explode uh, and it's a confirmed explosion deep within um Luke Cage's abs. And in fact, even a little little bit of microscope action going on here where even his soft tissue in inverted commas is rock hard mm-hmm. like it, it yeah. has the same properties um within his body as just his skin so right. he actually is solid like yeah. he is proper um hard so what you're saying is that no matter how many times chris goes to the gym he's never getting luke cage's body i could <laughs> why are you telling me this <laughs> yeah i was wondering about this uh in the last podcast just that literally as claire says they try and take these shrapnel pieces out but mm. the whole point is that he's indestructible yeah so again if unless not like you can do with a certain red and blue caped dc superhero who has a rock where you that cuts him yeah luke cage doesn't have that yeah so i'm like yeah so now he has two exploded fragmented Large bits of shatari metal mm-hmm. in his body. Yes, pretty yeah. much, yeah. And I love that moment where the the scalpel um, yeah. breaks within like the the soft tissue. Yeah, it kind of looks like one of those gross belly buttons, actually. Yeah, uh, when when you kind of looked and uh, when they were prodding around, uh, but like. Yeah, really, really cool the way they did that with the uh, with the scalpel that it it, it broke. We like, are now comparing belly buttons for our uh, audio listeners. Uh, probably lucky that we don't do uh, video podcasting for that particular moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was more of an outie rather right. than an innie, I, I suppose, in that sense. Oh. But it, as <laughs> for, for our listeners with outie belly buttons, we are happy to have you on board as well. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we're belly button. No, I didn't. Indiscriminate agnostic. No, it wasn't actually. It was. It was just. It just looked like the umbilical cord had been cut because it was all bloody. That kind right, of right. like proper fresh outy. Yeah. No, I'm really happy that they gave this explanation. To be honest with uh, with Claire Temple, great to have her as the character able to do this kind of explanation. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting to to know that the bullet did explode inside his body, but didn't damage the tissue inside. But as it's pushing through his body he's feeling the pain of it so uh, great pieces of setup earlier on in the season about the fact that when a bullet hits him uh, Luke does feel the pain of it uh, but doesn't react to it because it's not damaging his body I suppose yeah. is the big thing so in this episode when you see that he has had 
Um, he has had a bullet explode inside him. You can see the pain constantly because the bullet is still pushing outward at a much slower rate than it would for anybody else who doesn't have this really hard tissue pushing back against the bullet is basically what's happening. So yeah. it's tearing his insides apart really slowly. So what they need is an arc reactor like Tony Stark just to help bring it back. I like it. Or a big laser because maybe lasers will cut him. Maybe. I'm I'm just waiting for Claire to turn around and go, let's science this bitch. <laughs> like, just something really, something like, you know, Robbie Downey Jr. will say. Mm-hmm. He'll be like, ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Or Captain Kirk could pop down and they could do one of their tricorders. little tricorder. Because that fixes everything. Well, Dr. McCoy, preferably, because he wouldn't really want Captain Kirk working on it. Or like the know? two crystals that he kind of used. And, of course, they always work. Of course. Perfect. Of course. But with that, Chris, what's your first point? So, I'm going to steal the the big one, but my gut tells me I'm probably going to be taking a slightly different angle on this, and I know we may butt heads, but that's fine. Okay. So. Everybody's allowed their opinion. Exactly. Everyone's got a fair opinion. So, this is a good to great episode overall. Mm Mm-hmm. Though, in my opinion, it's fair to say that Stryker doesn't get off to a good start. You've got this guy running around taking pot shots at Luke with a gun and sprouting Bible verses. And he's just not as entertaining, in my opinion. I write, like, as of this one episode, Mm -hmm. as Stokes was. He's not that as an engaging of a character. He is crazy with a capital K, really, (laughs) this character. I think he's got Kilgrave's sadism. That's the bit that we like. Right. In other words, he's got that almost... There's a manicness yes. to his his um, his pursuit of Luke, definitely, and I mean, slightly obsessed eyes. Like you can tell he's like reached this moment, and now he's happy that he's finally hunting the prey that he's been watching over and sort of investigating, keeping an eye on, learning about him, as he kind of says. Absolutely. And now he's really happy that he doesn't have to sit back anymore and can. Go after Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I can dig it. I must say, I love Willis Stryker. I love that his opening line is just straight out of 70s black, black exploitation. I love that he's coming in going, can you dig it? You know, straight off something out of shaft. I just think it's cool because it adds something. It adds a character that is straight out of the 70s, just like the Luke Cage character. So Willis Stryker is so interesting to me. He is nothing like Cornell Stokes. Cornell Stokes is grounded in today. He's grounded in Harlem. This character looks like he's been around for decades. But a hugely important thing about the fact that he is chasing down his prey and firing off bullets left, right, and center at him. These bullets cost, what? The equivalent of Harlem. Like, these bullets cost millions. And he's fired off, what, four or five of them in the episode, I think he fires off. He misses Luke twice. uh, Shoots one into a wall, which explodes. Hits Luke last episode and this episode. So that's three three or four. At least three. Yeah, Yeah, so at least four. We know, we know of because he misses him once and uh, hits a wall another time. But yeah, four bullets. How much has he spent on on this? So this is the real moment for him. So, yeah, he is a pissed off guy. Yeah, definitely. And we also know the reason why uh, Luke was hit in the stomach last episode is because Willis was just toying with him. He was just showing him that something can pierce, uh, something can pierce your skin. Uh, he wasn't trying to kill him with that shot. So uh, I love that and. He does give my quote of the episode. So this was obviously one of my points. Willis Stryker was one of my points. But he gives my quote of the episode, which is he talks about 
The Warriors, one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Absolutely love this movie. If you haven't seen it, if you're a bit younger than myself or you missed it uh, when when you were growing up, uh, The Warriors is a movie about a gang called The Warriors trying to get from one side of New York to the other side of New York, facing off against other gangs, similarly themed kind of gangs. So you'll have a gang of clans, a gang of guys with baseball bats. It is like the first computer game. It is brilliant, an excellent concept where they have to fight their way through various gangs to get to the other end and their main rivals do the shout out they go warriors come out to play so this is what willis quotes he quotes about luke he says luke cage come out to play a effectively quote direct quote from from the warriors loved it thought it was cool again setting him as a character in the history of luke cage just as he is in the history of carl lucas in the show so i thought it was a great way of setting him up personally for me it was just i think this almost scene chewing mm. kind of character. Now I understand why they did it. Now yeah. I can see it. So you've got Luke Cage, who's a stoic character. Mm-hmm. The, the way the portrayal of Luke Cage is very stoic. Yeah. So his antagonist is going to be the almost opposite, which is this over the top, almost black exploitation actor, crazy manic kind of yeah. sadistic person. Yeah. And I get that. I just don't like it, I don't think. Right, right. I don't know. Now, again, I've had, we've had like, what, 40 minutes with this guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not kind of trying to say I'm like benching him. No. Right. It's just maybe we had seven, we had seven episodes of Cornell Stokes. Mm-hmm. And I loved that character and that portrayal. Totally. And then Mariah turning now. That's fantastic. And we'll get, probably I'll get that to later points. Yep. Um, but, Eric Larray, he's a really good actor mm-hmm. who plays uh, striker in this, or Diamondback. I think he's a really good actor, and I've seen him in other shows. It's just whatever... I can't always put my finger on it. It's just what made me so annoyed by his character. Mm-hmm. I think, like, I have to say, I think I'm kind of erring with Chris here um, on that side with regards to the character of Diamondback and with a striker. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Ha- Mainly because I wasn't expecting them to play his character like that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that, like, okay. absolute deep nod to black exploitation. Mm-hmm. And it came as a bit of a jar for me, yes. I think. That, that's all. And I kind of got yeah. used to it as we went through this episode. And I'm looking forward, like, I'm still looking forward to seeing Diamondback with a striker come back. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think, that was the only thing. I it, it just kind of took me out of what had been happening previously. I, yes, there were references, there were nods to black exploitation and, and all that, but this was absolutely in your face, and it yeah. just took a while for that to settle with me. And I think that was that was the main thing. Um, and such a different from character me. from Cornell Stokes. As exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah. Like for me, I kind of felt. I wasn't expecting a guy effectively almost in combat gear with a huge Humvee type military vehicle yeah. with all these weapons yeah. parading around Harlem. That mm-hmm. was not what I was thinking of. I was thinking that, you know, he would show up with shades. It would, he would be kind of crisp in his suit. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. So 
I suppose it, it's not necessarily even the black exploitation element. It is just that I wasn't expecting that kind of um, look yeah. either. Yeah. But it is straight out of the comics. Yeah. As far as I remember, because I know the character is in the comic books, and I remember reading it uh, earlier on in the summer, and it does feel like that character exactly as he was drawn in the comic books as well. So um, for me, pretty cool. Uh, but I totally get what you mean. And it is, it is, it's distracting as well. Uh, he is, he is a distracting person because he, he doesn't feel like the other characters that are in the show. Uh, yeah. and particularly again, you know, the shock of the death of, of Cornell Stokes at the end of, uh, of the last episode, it is, it is still, you know, really jarring that you've had seven episodes with that character and he was, he was played so well by Marshall Ali. You know, you're just not expecting that that will be taken away from you in, in that moment. It's not like a big, it wasn't like a big shootout scene with Luke Cage that in how he died. I'm sure we'll be talking a bit more about this in this episode, obviously, but, um, but having him taken away and then kind of replaced as the big bad with Willa Stryker, a character that isn't anything like him, uh, probably is a bit jarring. I yeah. Can, I can see it, but, uh, <laughs> but I can dig it, as I said. But it's also the, the, the line he gives, I gave you wings, I sent you to hell, and you come back with superpowers. And as he says that, it's a great line, mm-hmm. but it's so theatrical. It's almost something you would see someone stage left say, right. and then walk, right. exit stage left. And he's foaming at the mouth as he says that, mm-hmm. which is part of my thing about the being such an amazing actor, because mm-hmm. he portrays it with this venom. Yeah. And I think that's part of the character bit. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I did like is they didn't give him knives. Yeah. Which his comic book counterpart or origin does have. Right. Diamondback has gimmick knives. So I think they've just replaced him with gimmick guns being the Shatari bullets kind of type thing. Right. I get you. I which get is, you. I suppose, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me go on to my next point then, because it's kind of connected. Yeah. Uh, it's the worst line of the series <laughs> is in this episode when Luke Cage is facing down Diamondback and calls out the fact that Diamondback's name is the same as a snake, just like Cottonmouth's was because they're all snakes. So badly put in or so badly delivered and did not need to be there after seven episodes of hearing about Diamondback and seeing Cottonmouth all the time. Us as the audience, we totally know that those are both names of snakes I just feel putting it into the episode just wasn't necessary. It, was, it just wasn't necessary to call out, you know, even if they'd said something like you're venomous or said something, you know, I can... Well, they'd said about shedding their skin and even mm. that was... You just kind of... It, it suddenly just piled on the the snake analogies mm. and I was kind of like, okay, there's no real need for this. Yeah. Diamondback is the name of a snake, but it could also just be that his name is Diamondback. Like, I mean, yeah. it doesn't really need that kind of exposition. Right. And unfortunately, it has put paid to two theories that we had earlier on in the season, so we do have to call those out, as we always do. So, sadly, Shades isn't Diamondback, and sadly, the prison guard from episode four is also not Diamondback. Yeah. He wasn't a, cover, a, a man covered in glass uh, that was formerly in the prison, sadly. So, so. so basically, my two theories. Sorry, Yeah, Chris. okay, yeah, great. <laughs> Just, I'm, calling I, them, I'm calling them the Defenders TV podcast theories. But we all know. We all know they're Chris's, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. But that's okay. It's the reason why we don't watch ahead, so we can come up with crazy theories that could be misproven or, or could be disproven. Didn't I say that it was the prison guard? No, that was totally Chris. That was, I'll okay, definitely fair. give that one to Chris. Yeah. I think you might have said Shades was, uh, could yeah, possibly be, be Diamondback. But yeah. sad so one we're there. both wrong. We're yeah. both wrong. But yeah, Derek's right at this point. 
Yeah, Derek's I, always right. Of course. I always edit out my theories after we <laughs> watch the episode. So. Uh, John, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yeah, it's the uh, it's the fighting in this episode. It's really good. Again, it kind of comes back to the vulnerability of uh, of Luke Cage in this episode. Mm. I, I love the fact that um, you know as they're fighting um, in in that gorgeous theater, which is the United Palace Theater. I, I checked up in um, in Manhattan. I think um, beautiful, place. absolutely uh, amazing interior there. Um, I tried to see kind of its history and, and, and that kind of thing. And it's, it's become a church. It has been a performance venue as well. Right. Um, but primarily I think there was, uh, Sir Simon Rattle from the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra was there doing stuff as well as Sigur Ross have done stuff there. Right. Uh, but, uh, Smashing Pumpkins as well. Yeah. Um, they've, Eddie Vedder has been there as well. Right. So all that kind of, uh, um, performance venue interesting just on that note that's actually in washington heights so i someone was on the internet and i can't remember who it's 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 a bit far away from harlem yes and where they were the the area that they were in right so there's this long thread on i believe a subreddit somewhere people just complaining going how the hell did they walk that far the ambulance and the Humvee chase. Yeah. Yeah. So that took them out of Harlem, didn't it? Well, you can, you can assume that, I reckon, that yeah. within the chase and the ambulance, away, but yeah. yeah it's. Yeah. But no, they, then they were in the clinic and the clinic's in Harlem. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but Harlem as well, clinic, I, I do right. think. Good that point, Chris. It's a 20 minute walk. That was the kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's not geographically uh, <laughs> accurate or it's not supposed to be because not even films are like oh I know yeah, I know no. it was just I was reading the Reddit go and I, I have the exact same response yeah. like going yeah. this is a fictional world but in all fairness to Lauren Weeks who set the show in Harlem a lot of the show does actually revolve around the streets very close in that neighbourhood so there's even moments where Luke walks from Pop's Barbershop to his home and it's really close by so this particular one is quite surprising that it's so far outside of Harlem in, uh, in reality it, it really so. doesn't it really doesn't matter at all parts of Captain America the first Avenger were filmed in Manchester of course so yeah. I mean look uh, as parts of New York so this is a great venue I mean the colonnades the columns just the theatre mm-hmm. um, was absolutely uh, stunning really eclectic um, really detailed, really intricate. But, um, I love that within the fighting within, uh, this theater, just the focus on Luke Cage's stomach, you really got a sense that he was becoming vulnerable. Uh, he really did feel, um, like, like he could be taken down in some respect. I mean, it's still really, really difficult, but I love the fact that all the time Diamondback was going for or trying to go for, um, his his midriff and, and his stomach where he'd been shot. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was a real smart move and it made sense for me that this was affecting uh, Luke Cage, you know, because, I mean, you could still argue, well, maybe he will still just bounce off, you yeah. know, but he does feel pain even though he has unbreakable skin. So yeah. I like this. I like this vulnerability mm-hmm. that Luke Cage uh, kept getting. I, I also like the fact that he just kept calling him Carl yeah. as well. Really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and this fight, one of the one of my favorite bits about it is 
obviously Diamondback is working, as you say, the zone where he's got the shot. But I love that they made sure to show you scenes where uh, where Diamondback attacks him in places that aren't hurt. So he uh, swipes the the baton that has the cement at the bottom yeah. of it. He swipes it against Luke Cage's shoulder, and that smashes the cement. He does a double leg kick to Luke's chest and falls on his back yeah. immediately without Luke even moving, which I thought was a really well done shot. I don't know how they actually did it, but I love that he's just stay standing straight up and gets kicked in the chest and, and down back falls over, reminding him to make sure that he aims the next shot straight at his stomach. So really well put together kind of scene. Completely. This is actually one of my favourite scenes, fight scenes for the whole show so far. Right. And I think it's just because of all those points that you brought out, mm-hmm. which is just that it's not just Luke beating guys up or throwing them against the wall. They had, they gave him that, like that vulnerability that John was talking about. Yeah. And yes, it's narratively cheap. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it's a, like make him weaker so he can fight someone who's normal, but it really works for this. Like mm-hmm. it's some of the most decent, like hand to hand combat we've seen because Luke doesn't do hand to hand combat. Yeah. Luke does the, I'm so much stronger than you. I'm just going to tap you and throw you against a wall. Yeah. Kind of thing. Absolutely. And like yeah. Stryker was going punch for punch nearly with him. Mm-hmm. And to the point where like then Luke started, you know, that superhero second wind. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of like, uh-huh. oh, now I'm angry. I'm still bleeding eternally, but I'm angrier. Yeah. Kind of thing. I love the fact that he bled as well. That it yeah. started coming out of his mouth and the look on Diamondback's face when he realizes that, you know, he's managed to get Luke Cage, Carl Lucas to, to bleed. Well, I mean, that wasn't a really great scene between the two of them because it was kind of, even though, okay, Luke is weakened. Because now it's more on a on a par with Diamondback with Willis Stryker, it, it seemed like this fight of titans where they both could handle one another for the first time, you know, because he's so weak. Yeah. And I really, really like that. I mean, I love the fact that he uses, you know, the, the rows of seats to get some leverage to punch down and kick. Uh, you know, he punches out his chest, but he kind of bounces off. So you still see that Luke's got the upper hand, but he's able to work Luke Cage much better now that he's weakened. Yeah. I mean, he still gets thrown straight out of the theatre. I love <laughs> that because it, it, it was that kind of moment where it's like, you know, they've been making too much noise in the movie theatre and, you know, someone getting thrown out the door. Like, that was pretty, uh, pretty cool. But you know, that allows him to then sort of take stock and, and, Get away, yeah, um, to come back for another bite at the 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 cake. Absolutely, and that is the Luke Cage signature move, as you pointed out before, Chris, the grabbing someone by the scruff of the pants and yeah. throwing them out through a door. So yeah, it literally, he's, he's done it like at least four times now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is becoming signature. Yoink! Right. Wee! <laughs> we, we like, I'm sure there is some deleted scenes when they were throwing him, kind of, and it was just like, yeah. <laughs> You can just imagine some of these outtakes where they put Benny Hill music dubbed over and it'd be like... Anyway. So, on that musical bombshell of Benny Hill music in uh, Luke Cage, um, Chris, what's your next point? Hopefully less controversial than that. First, I'm going to apologise to Geo Coker, going, no, I'm assuming you had better taste than to put in episode, like, 12 Benny Hill music. But if it does come, I'm happy question mark <laughs> um, but it'd be if we're more importantly Claire Temple back again mm-hmm. I just she couldn't have arrived at Harlem at a better point in time mm-hmm. um, there certainly couldn't have been a better person at your side if you get shot than, uh, than the night nurse yeah but she's still <laughs> figuring it out oh yeah but yeah. that's kind of my one of my points in that 
they've yet to make her anything more mm-hmm. than a nurse. Right. They they haven't made her. She's trying. You can see the the, the threads that they're starting to build there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of her, she will be the one that joins them together. Mm-hmm. She will be the the it literally possibly if they get shot and cut as yeah, much as they do. <laughs> she will make the centipede. Right. The, the superhero centipede. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the that's, horror film. That's not a movie I want to see. No. Hopefully, but, Doctor Strange still stays well clear of that uh, dimension. <laughs> well, uh-huh. Yeah, that would be scary. Marvel zombies, Marvel centipede. Um, this is one of my. It's a slight bugbear. I'm starting to get. In that Rosario Dawson is an amazing actress. Mm-hmm. She's played the character Claire Temple amazingly well. Mm-hmm. But to date, she's played a nurse. Yeah. They haven't really fully, de- they've developed the character. I just don't think, I think I wrote this down. They have a great asset there. They just haven't figured out. I don't think they figured out fully at this point in time right. a way to greater utilize that asset. I think we're just there in this episode. I think this is the episode that's done it. I think she's just on that cusp. She's made that decision with her mom in the in the uh, cafe scene a couple of episodes ago, where she wants to be the one to help superheroes do what they do to to support them, to help them save people. And in this episode, you see exactly what she is. She's the Alfred to possibly the defender she's the one they come to when they have uh they have problems she looks like she as you say is going to science the shit out of some things here um she's looking in a microscope she's figuring out exactly what's wrong with luke cage here when somebody else wouldn't do it you know sure. um when somebody else would would possibly have let him die because they wouldn't have known a way to figure this out claire is able to figure out what's wrong with him what she can do so she reminds him again that when Jessica shot him in the face with the uh, with the shotgun, she was the one that was able to figure out how to release the liquid that was on his brain after the shotgun bullet. And that's why he's alive. It's not just because of his healing powers and not just because of the four days he spent recovering from that shotgun bullet, four hours even, I think. Yeah. Um, it's because she drained the, the liquid from his head. So while it is... While it is still a nurse, it's also a very sciencey nurse and a very inquisitive nurse who wants to actually help these guys out. So I think they've just realized that point where they're now in this episode. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in future. So you're right. To this point, yeah, the, sh- the shows haven't pushed her past being a nurse. But, but I think she's realizing where she needs to go in her path. But she was kind of a confidant as well mm-hmm. with Daredevil. I mean, it... it but she wasn't in Daredevil to the same extent yeah. as this, and that's True. the thing. But, you know, she was his kind of nurse, and she patched him up and so on. But she also did, like, the conversations between Claire Temple and Matt Murdock or, or Daredevil, you know, she did kind of try to question him and be some kind of, like... uh confidant with him and mm-hmm. but then ultimately gave up because he was so full on with his guilt that yeah. um yeah. you know she's kind of like i can't get through to you so mm-hmm. like she with, Je- with jessica she was she was constantly supporting her and trying to push her into more action and same with luke she's trying to push him into action when he was trying to step back from the limelight i suppose uh probably to a bit more uh, effect with Luke. He seems to be taking on the mantle of the hero of Harlem a bit more than uh, than Jessica wanted to take on that uh, that mantle. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do I, take the point. Though. Yeah, no, and I think you're right that they're gonna they they're gonna start using her to a better agency mm-hmm. if they make her the 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 brains behind the street level heroes. Mm-hmm. That could work. Like you see the 
the a bare hint of it when she's in uh, the cell with Misty, which is a great exchange, by the way. It's just oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. On a side note, when Misty asked her, did she want a lawyer? Were any of you thinking like Matt Murdock's gonna of walk course. in any day? Yeah. I was like, ah. Of course, we were gonna, we were gonna get our master foggy. Yeah, uh, I was expecting one of them. Yeah, yeah, a little cameo yeah. like the guy from Wilson Fisk's attorney mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe Foggy would come in. Absolutely, That's, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just so hoping that. But yes, I think that it's hopefully this is the turning point for Claire Temple's character throughout, or should I say, this is the turning point for Claire Temple's character being portrayed. By Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. who is an amazing actress and has been portraying it fantastically to this point. Absolutely. But they haven't just given her the, the agency to go out on her own as a character. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, yes, she's the Alfred, but even the Alfred wore the bat suit the odd time. Right. Interesting. If you, I think, <laughs> I, I, I'm he? pretty sure there's at least one episode. I remember it in something. Interesting, interesting. It's possible. There it are is very possible. Over Certainly 70, Batman 66. <laughs> over 75 years of comic books, I haven't read them all, so that is a, a absolutely entirely possible. Uh, but speaking of great characters, uh, Mariah Dillard and Shades in this episode are just fantastic for me. Um, I love these two. I think I mentioned in episode 7 that I thought there was a little spark of a relationship starting between these two. I think there's a bit more in this episode. I'm definitely... Uh, I'm definitely I'm not a shipper, but if I was, <laughs> uh, Shade Sharia, Sharia, maybe, uh, Shades Maids. and Mariah, Maids, I can see it happening. I really can. These two are just so good together. We're seeing the real Black Mariah come out here where she's killed, uh, Cornell, obviously, and is now realizing where that can push her to. So she makes the comment after Candace has has uh, helped them out saying that she saw Luke Cage kill Cornell. She makes that comment that, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll kill her, everybody in her tenement, and then maybe burn down the building. You know, that is a, that's a super villain now. She won't you know? burn down the she building. Burn, sorry. No, because Duke Ellington used to have his uh, apartment there and she goes, that'd be such a shame because it will lose so much value. That's true. Sorry. Like a really yep. nice little, sort of twist Mm -hmm. um, there from her just as a a matter of fact like always the businesswoman Mm -hmm. always looking to you know um, get that that investment but at the same time now this darker edge to it yeah yeah absolutely no really really cool Uh, also love Shades helping her out obviously really cool they're becoming strong allies here uh, we find out that Shades is effectively getting the club it'll go into Mariah's name because being the only li- living relative of Cornell but Shades is going to be the one in control so club's not going anywhere we're see- we're going to see um, Harlem Paradise in the hands of effectively Diamondback and Shades so that's quite interesting uh, and another one of my favourite lines in the episode delivered by Shades where he says when you get done done with this, you can go back to being the sexy, domineering bitch we hate to love. I just, just so well delivered. What a great moment. This is the last time you're going to call me bitch. Uh-huh. Yep. I was like, ah, that's but, good. But he does call her sexy as well, so. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, it's a, yeah, but no, I'm not going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> it's like a compliment sandwich. Let's call it that. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I'm completely with you on this one. It was seeing Mariah become Black Mariah. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not even one of the main storylines, if we want to call it a sub-storyline, mm-hmm. kind of a subplot, perhaps even using the technical term. Yeah. I guess because I know technical terms. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just really interesting to watch Mariah Dillard's downfall. Mm. 
you could argue it's the other way around. It's why Dillard's uprising, right, to become the the Auntie Mabel of or her downfall to become the Auntie, Auntie Mabel. Yeah, D- depending on what way you're looking at this, you see a character torn because she was a badass woman mm-hmm. for that whole episode, and then she got back to her house mm-hmm. and she saw. Aunt Mabel's photo. Aunt Mabel's photo. Yeah. And she looked like she was about to break and cry and, like, shatter. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Because yeah. you're still giving this... She is this strong, powerful, no-nonsense, I'm-going-to-get-everyone. The line I thought was brilliant was the um point when she's talking to uh Candace. Mm-hmm. And Candace goes, I'm not a whore. Uh, and no, you're not a whore. You're a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And that, and that in your lap represents a chance to change your life and that of your whole family. That's power. Yes. And I was like, oh, yes. That's a good, that's Definitely. a good, that's a good line. Just gives you chills. Yeah. It? She was so good. I love, as you say, that the specter of Mama Mabel there in the photo frame hanging over her and she, she's still, she's still fighting against being her offspring and doing what Mama Mabel is. She doesn't want to be that, but yeah. it's it's coming now. It, yeah. It's the the Black Mariah, the murder, the death, the ease with which that trips off the tongue is all coming in. I thought that was really cool. Um, yet shades Mariah, and also just like her speech outside the twenty ninth precinct. Mm. You know, absolutely. I think her aide says you nailed that, and it was. It was such a great speech. Just this notion that you know he was. My cousin was a complex man, but he didn't hide in the shadows. You know, he, he's tried to confront and, and make things better with his speech at Pop's, uh, funeral. But she really kind of, um, puts the pressure on these vigilantes and on Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a great turn. You know, she's really pressing her advantage here. And I, I love that. I, like she's a really complex character. She's she she can come across as weak and vulnerable and a bit frightened of herself, and obviously Mama Mabel still. But now with this kind of tutelage from Shades, that you know she is stepping up to replace Cornell and, and become the Black Mariah. So yeah. excellent, excellent development of her character in this episode. I think coming on to my next point, it's that I think. There are a lot of strong women in here mm-hmm. um, doing things that maybe were out of character. I think, you know, we've talked about Claire Temple. We've talked about uh, Mariah Dillard. But we have Misty Knight. I mean, this is a huge Misty Knight story. And we see her kind of losing it slightly, you know. She, she's been squeezed by her um, superior, Priscilla, who even sees that, um, you know, seems to be in cahoots in some way with Mariah Dillard. She at least Sor- knows. The former sorority yeah, sisters. They, yeah, they, they, they know one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite that, and you kind of think, well, is there something shady going on there? Priscilla still says to Missy Knight, but you've been given, um, you've been given an eyewitness yeah. who said, Luke Cage, where is this guy? Yet you're going after someone else who... There's no tangible evidence. You might have a suspicion, but at the moment we have an eyewitness who, and a chief suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she really does put the pressure on Misty Knight. Mariah Dillard is putting the pressure on Misty Knight and it all kind of explodes in that fantastic interrogation scene or interview, I oh, should yeah. say, at the police station 
between her and Claire Temple were, I mean, she loses it and throttles uh, Claire Temple. Like, this is so out of character. I mean, you know, she's probably still kind of unsettled because of um, Raphael's death. Uh-huh. Um, she still probably is conflicted over Luke Cage. Is he good? Is he bad? You know, Claire Temple gives her a dose of, like, kind of reality. You've met him. You know him. You know he's... He's fine. Why are you persistently going after him? And it, she just loses it because yeah. everyone has been at her all uh, this day. And I think primarily she has a fantastic, fantastic episode, um, especially where she is kidnapped by uh, Willis Stryker as yeah. well. Uh, just one quick point. I've got Luke Cage's Innocent written down because Claire Temple delivered that line so strongly that I did write it down. Luke Cage... Is innocent, write it down. Uh, so that is in my notes. Yes, the scene with Misty and Diamondback was fantastic. The gun to the head, where she's standing, she's standing up face to face with them, eye to eye. Really strong character, and then he makes her kneel down on the ground again. Really strong face. I had to rewind the next scene because I thought it was so well delivered. As he moves the gun around to the back of her head, Misty's face drops, and you tell, you can see the terror on her face that she could be dead in the street. Yeah. Um, I thought that was fantastically done. Really great moment for Simone Missick. And again, when she loses it in the interrogation room with with Claire Temple, um, just so much power in that character and, and so much, you can tell why she's getting so angry and so aggressive here. She's being told what to do by everybody, yet she knows it's not right because of her investigation skills. She knows there's something else behind all of this. This story that's been, been, that's been thrown in her lap about Luke Cage being the killer can't be true, can't be right. She has something else going on. But she's getting people walking out on her in interrogations, which never has happened to Misty before. She's always been in control of the situation. It's what we've been led to understand. So, um, yeah, really well, really good episode for Simone Missick. Really cool. Yeah, no, and I agree basically with all your points. Uh, Simone Missick's killing it this season. Mm-hmm. I, th- I don't think I've gone through an episode without commending her at some point within uh-huh. an episode. This is the downfall of Detective Knight. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we will see by, in another two episodes, she will be on last legs. Yeah. Two more episodes, she's off the police, suspended without parole. Yeah. If you want to call okay, it that. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, like, what's going to happen? Um, you know, Priscilla closes the door, uh, on the camera, uh, after she's been caught with her hands around Claire's yeah. neck. So yeah, this is like really, Going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think I think what we're going to end up seeing is that it will get to a point within the next couple... Again, I'm back speculating, but it's just because I know Misty's character is this hot-headed, fiery bombshell. I was going to... Sorry, I know bombshell is more the... I know people use it from the, the derogatory term in terms of the pinups and the bombshells, but this I mean more that she's just an... Exp- an explosion of ang- of anger and yeah. sensibility and courageousness and investigation skills. It's just all kind of built into one. Mm-hmm. But this is where it goes wrong. Yeah. And I think it will very much... They're, they're signposting it a bit mm-hmm. in that she knows Luke is somewhat innocent. Yeah. She believes Luke is innocent. Yeah. But then they'll probably find Luke Cage guilty of some somehow... Or they'll push to get him arrested, and that's when she'll come to loggerheads yes. with her ideal of being the the ideals that we saw when she was talking to 
uh, scarf mm-hmm. in that previous scene in the previous episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely killing it. Really like episode. it. Yeah, really, really like it. Uh, one other thing that I really liked about this, this was one of my points, is just the opening of the episode. So we've gone to the end, and we're going back to the opening towards the end of the podcast. But uh, I loved the showing Misty's skills again. So we mentioned it earlier on in one of the other episodes about her skills kind of mirroring the character of Will in Hannibal, who's able to see a crime scene and reverse it back and play it backwards. Um, and we kind of said that's been done on Hannibal. I like being used once, but not many, many times in the show. What I loved about the opening of this episode was actually showing the real life sequences with Mariah intercut with um, with Misty investigating the area. So it wasn't her piecing together the crime and how it happened. It was us seeing the aftermath of the crime uh, with Mariah overlooking a club with Cornell still on the floor and being intercut with Misty uh, doing her investigation. So I love that it's kind of showing Misty isn't piecing together exactly what happened. She isn't seeing Mariah in the club, but we are, and we're seeing the, the aftermath. I thought it was a really smart way yeah, of putting those yeah, two really scenes, cool. which were both hugely important, but it had a lot of exposition in them about what had happened in the previous episode. But I thought it was a really smart way of putting the two together. Uh, really cool that she figured out a lot of things uh, from that and used them in the later interrogation as well. Absolutely. And I think as well, another important thing here, probably moving forward is that Candice, the, the VIP hostess, calls out in her interview with Misty Knight down at the, the cop shop is, um, that she saw her with Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw him and she kind of throws that in as a, as a curveball at, at Misty Knight, who does get rattled, but, um, you know, she equally then throws one back to say, what do they have on you for yeah. you to be lying? You know? Yeah. I love those lines that she pulls together. So if you, if you don't remember her from, uh, from the first episode, she was the girl that came up to Luke and said, uh, could he, could he accompany her up to, uh, visit Mr. Stokes because she was scared going up to her on, on his own. Uh, now she's telling Misty that she slept with him, that she was, uh, she was one of his girls, basically. So I love that kind of bit that Misty pulls out really quickly because she happened to be at the bar um, when that whole exchange happened between herself and Luke, or between Candace and Luke in, in the first episode. Uh, I love that Misty pulls that out and is kind of going, well, hold on a second. You you were too scared to go up to, up to him three days ago. Now you're saying you're one of his girls and you don't have the code to get in through his VIP entrance. So you're not telling me the truth here. So I love that Misty's able to piece this stuff together and you get to see that. So, you know, once again, doing another great job in this show of, of the investigation element, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Chris, what's your next point? Um, I'm going to talk about the science part. Okay. And I just want to go into this because it kind of made no sense in a, an actual science. Because, oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. It, Basically, she was saying that what makes him super strong, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, what makes him invulnerable is that his cells, basically, when you try and separate them, yeah. they spring back together. Yes. So velocity impact does, why he feels the pain is because they still shift, but then they spring back, mm-hmm. thus making him almost impenetrable. Um, doesn't really explain the super strength. I'm thinking about it because we all just accepted it. I went, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going, hold on. So when, because that's just saying, when if I lift something, my cells are separating. Okay. No. No, I don't. I don't know whether that was was that. I don't think it's really science. No. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> we like know. what I mean, <laughs> like I think basically his soft tissue. Yes. And that's why the bullet's traveling through still, um, 
it breaks and reforms. So she just says something along the line. And it, it's pure to try and explain it. But she yeah. says it, it's super elastic, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which is the source of your strength. Like Mr. Fantastic? But exactly. Um, like, he isn't elastic or stretchy. Yeah. Um, he, so, I don't know, but right. look, it's But I, I, don't, I, I know what you mean, but I don't know whether she was doing any explanation at all for his super strength. I don't know whether the well, two she said are strength. connected. She are said they? strength. She did. She said strength okay. and your, your impenetrable skin. Yeah. Because that was the whole point. Impenetrable of- skin, I can see. Strength, maybe something like it. Your your fists are hard as rocks, so you're hitting a bit harder than, but he, than other he people would. Things really- but yeah, yeah. No but I think... Well, I don't know. She was but talking she- about blood cells. It was So the thing is, is that, you know, there are different types of cells. Yeah, so I agree with you that there are different types of cells. It was just, for yeah. me, it was very much a, we're going to science this, yeah. and this is why the superhero power came from. I'm like, eh. Now, I know I'm, I'm also talking about a universe where a boy gets bitten by a spider mm-hmm. and can climb walls. Yeah, now that's the same universe. Yeah, yeah course, exactly. Yeah. Now I'm like, okay, I can see where you're trying to go, and thank you for trying to science mm-hmm. this. It would have been better going, you got sprinkled with pixie dust. <laughs> and now you well, have no, they'd, they'd never, They'd never do that. As guardian pixie dust. No, they That never could do. work. <laughs> See? Because then you'd be like, oh, well, it's science, so it's okay. Yeah. It's as guardian science. <laughs> they, I don't think they'd ever go there. But they did also try and uh, to have a scientific explanation for Purple Man's powers in Jessica Jones, didn't they? And there's no scientific explanation for a man that can control what other what other people's minds around him. There's no way you could possibly have a scientific explanation for that. Yeah, but that's not possible. So yeah. it's, it's absolutely Im- impossibility. So I, yeah, I take your point. There's I, there's no way that the explanation of the cells reforming could explain why he has super strength. I, I totally agree with you. They tried. Yeah, you know. it was that. It was just more the delivery. I, it was. I think, I think I've described the show to more people because so many people are interested in Luke Cage. I've described the show to more people, and I, I am describing it as The Wire with a little bit of Marvel stuff yeah. in it, a little bit of superhero stuff. And if you can get over that, then grand. Um, yeah, they probably shouldn't have tried to explain yeah. his powers with the science reason, but they always try. Or they should have done it a bit more. They're giving it a bit more gravitas mm-hmm. rather than. But it's only the start. It's only know, because yeah, it's... she was like saying, "I will work this out," because she doesn't know how to yeah, um, to to deal with this bullet fracturing through his body. Um, and I, I took it to mean just his his, his the. the the cells of of some of his soft tissue, and mm-hmm. um, so yeah, no, I I, I took it more. See, the, the she's, going, she's going to be in the back cave as the Alfred yeah. checking yeah. out where all these powers are coming from, you know, and trying to give the scientific explanations. Yeah, because I mean, all she did was smear the blood, so maybe that's just his blood cells, yeah. unless yeah. it had some other cells in there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, she was in. In fact, where was she? It was like an underground clinic. hospital. It was or the clinic. Harlem Women's Clinic. Okay, okay. That's where Misty finds them in the end, isn't it? Yeah. I just, I just, for me, and I'll, I'll kind of close this point. It was just, it, I would have preferred, now, hopefully they do. If they give it a better explanation, and when they're trying to suck the fragments out, that's great. But it was just, it was 30 seconds in a 13 hour yeah. Show and I was like, at least with Kilgrave, and I, I, I understand your point about Kilgrave. They gave it a couple of episodes, almost explaining that they were playing around with DNA, mm. blah blah blah, and then this was one of the side effects. I think sometimes 
less is more and maybe they didn't need to True. try and explain this not just yet or even if it was just Claire saying I need to figure this out and then yeah. you know laser scalpel yes yeah. <laughs> you want that laser scalpel you so do, much don't you yeah. uh, you I know I, I think I take the explanation about his skin I think I, I think the explanation works really well about his skin but connecting it to his super strength I'm, you're right I, yeah. don't, I don't think there's and any he's not there. infinitely yeah. strong yeah, yeah. Because that that would almost imply if your cells were always knitting back together, you could lift anything because your strength is also when it comes down to bone structure. See, that was the thing. It just took me out of it. I was just like, now my brain is thinking this and this. Or (laughs) if he lifts the Empire State's building, is his bone indestructible? Does does he, in theory, have adamantium level of bone? No, he, he has a finite strength. Uh, and recovery, and that's why he's vulnerable, and that's why he mm. is. Uh, it, it's not a perfect. It, it's a tagline of unbreakable skin, but yeah. actually, he does it's have kind of breakable. If you get a bullet that yeah. can drill through it, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm just going to go on to my final point, which is about Willa Stryker. He is a character from the comic books, as I've said, and his story is a little bit different in the comic book. Uh, he's the one that sends Luke to jail. Definitely. Um, but I like some of the little things that are dropped in this episode. So we'll find out more, I'm sure, about, about Willis Stryker. But some of the things that he drops here about who he is and what his connection to Luke is. So he says he was always around at Luke's house. Luke's father was a preacher and always gave out to him because he was the quarterback. And Luke also played for the football team. And the quarterback always wanted to pass the ball. Luke was a runner, apparently. Yeah, no, I know American football, so one sport I can actually talk about. Uh, but because Willis wasn't passing the ball to Luke, um, then he was being criticized by his father, basically. So this is also analogous, I presume, to the relationship that Luke had with his father, uh, that he was always trying to make sure that his son got the best in life. And then Luke ended off in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. There is that relationship there. There's definitely something there with Willis Stryker. Uh, Willis obviously came from a little bit of a different background. His mother destroying herself is what he said uh, because of something that Luke did. Uh, Luke mentions he should have stood up for Willis and didn't. He took a back seat. He didn't stand up for Willis Stryker. So I like that there's a deep kind of a deep seated relationship between these two that we didn't find out in the episode. It wasn't all like a James Bond villain plot where he comes and goes, hi, Carl, I'm back. This is all the things you did to me. My mother killed herself because of that thing you did or whatever exactly. But I like the little drops of things that are connected between the two. It really is teasery, actually. And it does Mm. link into my final point as well, which is, you know, and we've talked about Willis Stryker and Diamondback, but it was, you know, he's the nemesis. Mm -hmm. Yes. He is somehow connected, maybe a colleague, but is he also a brother? Mm -hmm. You know, is... Standing up for him, is this that in a domestic sense? Is it within a um a, a professional sense? You know, were they both cops? Were they actually brother? You know, he says, you were my brother. Is it that kind of, that, you know, the idea that you, you best friend? Yeah. And, and, and that just, that, that recognition that you're best friends for life and you're a brother in that sense. But that was weirdly delivered because, brother. but it was weirdly delivered because Luke says to him, um, I treated you like a brother. And his response to it was, I am your brother. Exactly. It was like a reveal that he is actually Luke's brother and Luke never knew it. But it just seemed like a weird, a weirdly delivered line. So it didn't feel like 
I am your brother as in I'm your best friend. It was, he's telling Luke, I am your brother, and you didn't know it almost. Yeah. And so all these different teases as to the connection between these two, really, really good. You know, mm-hmm. is the reason why he was being given out to by Luke's dad was because he was also um, the son to him. He was a bastard or, son, maybe. Well, or a bastard yeah. son or, um, you know, um, adopted in some way. And that's why maybe Luke slightly standoffish and said, I should have stood up to you. Mm-hmm. And so really it's just some nice little teasers on mm-hmm. this, like you say. And that was kind of one of my points as well. Really, really good. It's like the Game of Thrones part of, uh, of Luke Cage there. Yeah. <laughs> what this first straightaway made me think, that line, I am your brother, and then we know the mother destroyed herself, we can assume some form of uh, drugs, maybe, perhaps, or maybe. alcohol. And then the father being the preacher, I'm going, preacher maybe wasn't a good preacher. Mm-hmm. And that, then the mother had the son and he wouldn't take it. The mother turns to drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we find out. And then this is, again, the move forward. Yeah. Uh, but you can't because he's in a garbage truck. Uh, well, the garbage truck's moving forward. <laughs> yes, he's moving forward. So he's moving forward, literally yeah. on his back. But no, that's what's true. Just on your point, yeah. The nemesis, the the colleague, the brother, the brother part. I took. It seemed like a reveal. Yeah, it but, is. But they hadn't exactly, teased yeah. it up at the beginning. I yeah, was like, yeah. ah, yeah. It just it, it felt like dire- coming directly after the line of "I treated her like a brother." I am your brother. It just you're right. It didn't feel like something that. It, didn't have the gravitas that you would need for that kind of reveal in yeah. that scene. Yeah. Yeah. But as but well, it, it was kind of interesting in terms of Reva as well, because he's, he's just kind of going, Reva, Reva, um, I know how much that makes you squirm. But Get it, that name out of your mouth, yeah, says but, Luke. Yeah. But, but there is this idea that it's different from the comics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, within the comics... Luke Cage effectively, you know, goes behind Willis Stryker's back and has an affair with Reva. That's what sets uh, Carl Lucas, Luke Cage, up for prison yeah. uh, by uh, heroin being planted on him by by Willis. So that doesn't seem to be the case here, but there's obviously something. Yeah, and Stryker knows that this is his Achilles heel. This mm-hmm. is the, this is again another weak point for him to use against, uh, Luke Cage. Yeah. How does Stryker know about Reva? Think about it. So, no, Stryker said he was in control of everything to do with Luke Cage, except for Reva's death, he says. He says he'd been watching him all the time. Oh. And he was watching him in the prison, so he, he obviously still controlled Shades in the prison yeah. who was targeting him. There is that moment where, you know, the camera points to a, a, a CCTV camera on the wall mm-hmm. um, in episode four in the flashback. You know, you just wonder, is Willis Stryker behind there? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Absolutely. We did wonder about that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We, I, we actually were curious. That does make sense. Uh, my only bit is for non-Netflix um, Marvel aficionados who... Mm-hmm. No, that's probably the wrong way of saying it. For people who haven't watched Jessica Jones mm-hmm. and have just entered on Luke Cage, they will not understand the death comment. Right. And unless that is explained by Luke to at some point, mm-hmm. the death goes unknown or is an unknown quantity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we know, we understand that actually Luke was not responsible for Reva's death. Yes. Or that he had no part in it. Mm-hmm. 
the comment makes it sound like he had a part in Reva's death. Like Diamondback did. Diamondback, yes. Yeah. It's just for those people who hadn't watched Jessica Jones, uh-huh. it just it needs some explanation. I, so I I'm do s- like that he specifically says I know I didn't kill her. I just like saying her name. <laughs> you know, I like I like that Willis Stryker says that to Luke. Yeah, that he's like, yeah. you know, I know I didn't kill her, but uh, hey, I'll take credit for it if it makes you squirm. You know, <laughs> really like that moment. Um, I think we'll find out more about his plan and more about the connections between him and Luke in the future. Any notes about the episode boards? I think that's enough of the points. Yes. yes, yes. John, would you like to go first with your notes? I think I might. Okay, if you get an Easter egg, I'm going to kill you. Um, <laughs> I love the moment where Claire Temple calls him Macho Man and he turns around and says, no, it's Power Man. You know, and there's a nice little nod back to Pops there. And yeah. that's what Pops used to call him. So that was, that was really cool. So it does sound like he may actually take that on as, as a mantle. He might actually take it yeah. on because he does have now, he has made that connection back exactly. to Pops calling him that. Yeah. And, and Macho Man is already taken by Randy Savage anyway. <laughs> that's true. So, and then the other thing is, I really like the fact that, you know, we have Mariah Dillard, um, who, you know, really kind of calls out Luke Cage as being, um, you know, working from the shadows as, as we don't know anything about him. And, and this is kind of repeated again by Willis Stryker, where he calls him the people of Harlem are worshipping a false idol. Mm-hmm. I've been watching you and so on. I thought that was a really, really nice little tone and intonation to to Willis Stryker's kind of threat. Yeah. This is my cross to bear. Yeah, exactly. Really, really good. There was a lot of... The, the, it was a very Daredevil-esque uh, Catholic, Catholicism-laced episode. Absolutely. Just my cross to bear, my devil sent you to hell. There was a, a lovely undertone in that. Mm-hmm. And then it sometimes went above tone right. and then just came back under tone. Yeah. <laughs> is that all your points? Yeah. So I'm going to jump in with my point, um, and I think it was just a nice Easter egg. WHIH, the news station mm-hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was shown yes twice. That's the one so we've seen in uh, Ages of Shield, and we've Ant-Man. seen Daredevil, Ant- Ant-Man. Yeah, it's all there, and yeah, they showed the guy, the gentleman who says something bad back to Mariah, and she turns and goes, "What?" W, he says his name and goes, W-H-I-H. And I'm like, right. <laughs> oh, I know that news report. Excellent. Um, and then finally, just uh, Ben Donovan. I know we mentioned him very quickly. Mm-hmm. He came back for this episode. And it's nice to see him back again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we called this out in previous episodes, that he is a Luke Cage character yes. from Heroes for Hire, issue 14. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm hoping we... I didn't get the issue number last time, uh, but yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I added one useful piece of information at the end. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see him powered or the size, but I would love to see that uh, Ben Donovan portrayal bulk up, and that would be really funny to watch. It'd be interesting. It I'm would be cool. I'm hoping that we actually never see the powered versions of people like Shades and Comanche and Ben Donovan because they're terrible shades basically wears a cyclops type mask yeah um very similar but the mask shoots uh shoots lasers out of it can't see that with shades <laughs> uh comanche does sadly carry a bow and arrow with uh with arrows like uh, like hawkeye which shoot weaponized and the stuff. comanche axe not cool not cool yeah. guys not yeah. cool but, but hey, you ben never know. donovan rips his suit he always has an Armani suit mm-hmm. and then he hulks out nice. and just, he doesn't actually hulk or grow or anything. He just somehow seems to 
tear off his sleeves. He is ripped under that yeah. sleeve, basically. Yeah. Nice. So it would be interesting to see if he was in that police station and goes, <laughs> no. I'll show you. Maybe, maybe. Do you have any notes, Terry? I do, because you may have noticed I didn't talk about the name of the episode this time. So oh. I've pushed it into the notes, really because it's not that connected with the episode. Um, there's two things about it. The, the, the episode obviously was called Blown Up the Spot. The big moment in the episode is obviously the explosion that knocks over the, uh, the ambulance. So that is the spot that's blown up, really. That's about it. That's about the only connection. It could also be his abs. It could be. Yeah, maybe. Um, but there's I know which one I prefer. <laughs> I, I think the blowing up of the ambulance in the middle of uh, in the middle of Harlem is pretty darn cool, though. Um, Absolutely. Which also leads me to my other note, which is the uh, couple of Terminator Two kind of things in here. It's just things that mostly maybe reminisce about Terminator Two that may not have been uh, intended. But the gun that uh, Diamondback uses to blow up the ambulance is the same gun that uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator in Terminator 2 is using on the attack on Cyberdyne Industries. He's standing at the top of the window shooting uh, these bullets that land and then explode. So that's the same Absolutely. same gun. I love yeah, that. I can't remember the name of the gun, but you can also pick it up in Drake's Fortune as well. It's one of the weapons oh, you can true. use there. Yeah. That's true. And the second one is also the movement of Luke Cage when he's going after Diamondback and following him to the theatre. It really reminded me of the kind of stalker nature of a, of a Terminator. The kind of the the powerful uh, being walking at, at a very at a pretty deliberate or very slow pace actually he's not running to get to striker probably because he's injured but I like that kind of slow deliberate measured kind of walking uh, attacker that was in there both things just reminded me quite a lot of of Terminator two probably also because it's one of my favorite films so yeah actually just speaking of this and this is sorry I'm coming on the end for for a second last final note mm-hmm. so you also have a a large Man driving around in a Humvee mm-hmm. after blowing up a, a an ambulance. Yes, walking down the street, mm-hmm. shooting. Yes, and there's no cops. Uh, that is something that Misty does point out, doesn't she? That he's that he's obviously a pretty aggressive kind of guy. We've just had all these explosions going on. Like she even knows was that you in the ambulance? She says to Luke when she arrives in. So everybody knows about these things. What is Willis Stryker doing? Does he have another batch of cops in his pocket that uh, yeah. weren't taken out by yeah. Cottonmouth? And the you Cottonmouth do steam, hear, maybe. But you do hear the police sirens sort of in the distance as yeah. Diamondback's getting back into the, the Humvee yeah. and um, uh, Claire Temple's cousin, is it, who has been driving, or uncle who's been driving yeah. the ambulance, is saying, go, get out of here, you know. So there's definitely, um, they are probably around and about. Yeah. Uh, it's just all off screen in this. Absolutely. This is also an area of Harlem where we've just had a rocket launcher blow up the local Chinese restaurant. So, you know, uh, there's a lot going on in Harlem and probably not <laughs> enough cops if they've just gotten rid of loads of them because they were in the pocket of Cottonmouth. So, uh, so maybe the, maybe the response time is a little, a little slower. <laughs> it's gone down to 10 minutes. All right. And just one final note because it's a, an error I made on a previous episode. And I don't really know why I made it, uh, cause, I, I did know it, but uh, but it is confirmed in the episode that Mariah and Cornell Stokes were blood relatives. I think I corrected John re- weirdly that he, when he said blood, blood relatives, they are blood relatives. They are first cousins, is what Mariah says. Um, they had previously just said cousins, which I thought to mean one of those kind of relationships things where you, the person that lives in your house, it's not your brother. You just call him a cousin or an uncle or whatever. Damn, yeah. No, I could have used my really good uh, line there about blood relatives spilling blood that's or something true, yeah. like that yeah sorry about that that's fine i shall go and cry in a cupboard <laughs>
So I think that's all our notes for the end. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start it off. Derek, do you defend this episode? I love this episode of Luke Cage. <laughs> I love it. I love seeing Willis Stryker in here. I think he's just cool as, and obviously the reference to The Warriors, one of my favorite uh, movies, which is also Willis Stryker chasing down Carl Lucas, Carl come out to play. Everything worked for me in this episode. We, it's also a Misty Night episode. It's an episode where she's doing some great investigation and getting beaten down left, right and center to the point where she absolutely could be leaving the police force pretty darn soon. If Priscilla has her way, it seems Priscilla's going to push her off the force. So some great stuff going on here in this episode. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much. There is still a little bit of an absence there. Now that we know the Cottonmouth is actually dead, his body's going off to be burnt, basically. So um, so we are going to not see Marshal Ali anymore, which is a real shame for the show, I think. Um, but I think having someone as ostentatious in there as uh, Eric Larry Harvey uh, playing the part of, uh, of Diamondback, it's going to be fun towards the rest of the season. I think it's going to elevate that bit of humor that we've kind of been missing for the, for the start of the season. He does feel more like a comic book character than anybody we've seen in the show so far. So I'm interested to see what happens for the rest of the season. So yes, I do defend it. But John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I also defend this episode of Luke Cage. I'm giving it four Judas bullets straight to the abs out of five. That's billions, John. Billions you're giving. I know. There. Billions upon billions <laughs> of, of uh, greenback dollars um, for... And Harlem's, yeah, for uh, this episode. It was really good. I mean, I have to say, you know... Meeting Diamondback for the first time, I was taken out of that character because it's taken so long for him to be revealed. I wasn't expecting him to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of, um, explicitly, uh, black exploitation. Um, but actually over the, over the course of the episode, you know, I got used to it and that was, and that was fine. And I can't wait to see him, uh, back. I can't wait to see uh, how these little nuggets and teasers that have been sort of laid down by by Willis Stryker and Luke Cage, how they get revealed, that was really good. And again, as you say, this is another great episode for Misty Knight. You know, we have this huge amount of interaction with um, the, the four ladies, uh, Mariah Dillard, Priscilla, her boss, Claire Temple, and of course, Candice, the, the VIP hostess. And in all of them, Misty Knight is coming off um as second fiddle to these other ladies. Um, you know, she she's not um she's lost her right hand man in in Raf. Um so really, you know, she's trying to figure her own way through this, but she's coming under huge pressure. And I loved how this just played out. I loved her conflict about Luke Cage, and um I just thought this was a, a really good episode. You know, some of the science a bit ropey. Maybe you don't need to talk about uh, that so much. But it's a really good episode. Um, and the thing for me is just how uh, Misty Knight and Luke Cage uh, develop further from this episode. Mm-hmm. And Claire, of course. Uh, so, Chris, uh, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? Surprisingly, I'm 50-50. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm not that surprised. No. It, you, you saw how annoyed I was by Diamondback. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take away from the setting, the, the, the atmosphere, the, the, the overall performances by the other characters. Um, I just felt that it was too jarring, uh, an introduction 
to a character like that. Mm-hmm. If they had have introduced Diamondback earlier and we knew his idiosyncrasies and his just quirks, mm-hmm. then maybe. Because if he was that way across two episodes pre- prior and we saw him like just being completely weird, sadistic to henchmen, then when he came and did this, it would set it up fine. But we still don't know why the supposed big boss is driving around by himself with mm-hmm. the gun. He, okay, now we know it's personal. Yeah. But still, yeah, you're one of the biggest crime bosses after Kingpin. You're probably going to send someone else. Mm-hmm. It's like, meh. Nothing to say that the portrayal by the actor is bad. It was just the character is just too different mm-hmm. to this tone of the show that they built so far. Right. It was just, could it have worked? Potentially. See, like, like I said, if they hadn't started earlier, but it just right now, it doesn't work for me. And I just thought, yeah, it, it was. But do you defend it? 50-50? Is that a defend? I, I, just? I, I defend it and I da- damn it to hell at the same time. But it's going to come back with superhero no, That's powers. not there you go. Okay, okay. So you both defend it and you don't defend it. Yeah. I, I, it's the only way I can say it. It's just the characters of Claire Temple and Misty Knight, again, fantastic portrayals in this. Mm-hmm. And it's building so much character development. Alfred, Alfred Woodard, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Alfred Woodard and Mariah. Mm-hmm. Again, fantastic. Shades. The little we saw of him so was cool. fantastic. So cool. And the, the look on his face when he's got the club and the useless people that didn't guard, yeah. guard, uh, guard Stokes telling them all to go out and buy good suits yeah. because we are aim one from this, from this point onwards. Yeah. We are the top of the top, top class from now on. Very cool. So really what you're saying, Chris, is you didn't dig it. Basically, what you're saying. No. Uh, your answer to uh, to, uh, to to Diamondback would have would have been like, no, nah, mate, no, no, nah. nah. <laughs> don't dig it. Very uh, cool. But another overall, f- some good episode, some good bits in this episode, really yes, enjoyable. Uh, absolutely, always, always good to talk about them on the podcast, though. Of course, uh, if you want to send in your thoughts about the podcast or. Or the show, obviously, uh, you can email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or come and join us over on our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. So we got some feedback in about episode eight of Luke Cage. Our first piece of feedback came from our Facebook group, came from Ronaldo. He says, I'm rereading the 90s Cage comic run and there's something very 90s about Ray's Diamondback. I love it. I think it's the haircut, very popular in the 90s. And I swear some of the artists have used Eric LeRae Harvey's face as inspiration. There's just something about his look that makes him seem like he's jumped straight out of a comic book. Loving Diamondback, he's pretty ruthless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think here, Diamondback is, how should I say, maybe he's split opinion, actually. Definitely. Um, you know, um, <laughs> some people are really enjoying him. Some people have warmed to him. I would class that in myself. Initially, there was a bit of a shock there that I had to get over, but I've, I've warmed to how he's portraying it. I, I do think it's actually, um, a kind of consistent and almost like an homage to that black exploitation without being too far down that road. Yeah. And then for others, um, it's too much of a jar. It, it, it kind of kicks them out of this idea maybe that these shows are more real, more street level and so on, even though they're dealing with superpowers. And I mean, I love the reality or the realism of these shows. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I can maybe assimilate some more of the craziness, but certainly, yeah. um, I love the fact that this character 
has provided this sort of response. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it shows that, um, you know, not everything has to be accepted automatically and not yeah. everything is necessarily 100%. And I think in this case, um, it's really great to see those people who are really enjoying the portrayal of Diamondback. Yeah. Um, of which I think now I class myself as one of those. I, as I say, I, I had an initial jar, but then I, I, I've grown to, to like Diamondback. Yeah. I think he is quite creepy. Rebecca Bedour says Diamondback is possibly the biggest comic book likeness in ages in the shows. And I totally agree with her. Yeah, I think there's been a lot taken from the general overview of the characters uh, for these shows on Netflix. But Diamondback does feel like something directly out of the comic books. To Ronaldo's point, yeah, you were saying it was it was from the '90s cage run. I was definitely seeing a lot of '70s black exploitation in the character, which is probably where they got their inspiration from, and then pulled it back into the '90s comic run. So it's all circular. And then, of course, at the other side of this uh, debate is we've got some feedback in from Claire Laffer, who says, "Is it bad that I'm really irritated by Diamondback? I much preferred Cottonmouth to him." Yeah. Um, and again, I think that's a valid point. Cottonmouth. Um, maybe to some extent feels as though he has been taken away from us as an audience too soon. Uh, but certainly, and at the end of the day, you know, as a, as a character within the show, having that relationship to Mariah Dillard and of course getting, um, an element of the backstory of Cottonmouth to his relationship with Pops and his relationship to his aunt, uh, Mama Mabel uh, and, uh, Pistol Pete and, and all those aspects lends a depth to Cottonmouth which I think ultimately with Diamondback we haven't yet found out all we know is that he has a significant vendetta against Luke Cage but um, he's kind of on his own he's a bit of a loner and I think that makes it more difficult to to maybe connect with that character as a result of that yeah I, I i don't think there's any real comparison between the characters of cottonmouth and diamondback i think they're two very distinct characters in this show it's it's almost like comparing pops and mariah you know to me it's they're two completely different characters in the show um i'm totally on the side of diamondback though i really i really enjoyed him i think i uh i talked about it in this episode particularly how much i enjoyed his introduction so but i know he, i'm sure he's a character that would that would rub people up the wrong way we we did hear it with chris so uh so we know that there are people that have that kind of a opinion on him but thanks so much for the feedback there claire and ronaldo and rebecca yep so a new member to our facebook group uh over at groups uh defenders tv podcast uh robert phillips says so is the whole of the second half going to be with cliffhangers do you think chaps this episode just makes me think bad things about nearly everyone misty seeing through the fog of anti-cage prejudice brother diamondback the the discarded twin older sibling who seeks slaughter luke himself for leaving his brother when he needed a hand and the driver of the rubbish truck who sat quietly in the van waiting until a very large man got shot into the back before driving away (laughs) perhaps harlem really is a very special part of new york city claire temple though is a proper angel and one more thought was mariah channeling mama mabel with the you're not a whore you're a businesswoman and then later hating herself for continuing to spin the lies that's really good feedback. I mean, absolutely. With regards to Mariah Dillard, I love the fact that she has this relationship with the picture of Mama Mabel on mm. her, on her desk uh, and on her fireplace. Um, I, I just that she has to t- turn it down and, and put it to, to, to the desk. Um, so that she 
feels as though she's not being watched or being judged by yeah. this hugely um influential domineering matriarch from from her past uh maybe someone who you know she's trying to break out of her expectations to some extent um because obviously Mariah Dillard is the one who seemingly doesn't want to be involved um so much with the family business mm. but more take a uh, you know a a more upstanding route although okay she fails at, yeah. at this i think she's but, just um, ignoring it a lot of the time how close she is to mama mabel so yeah i like the reference here that robert's pulled out about this is the type of thing that mabel would do she'd try and encourage somebody uh, in that way so really really good thanks very much for that feedback robert and welcome to the facebook group great to have you join us yeah absolutely and i mean with regards to um all the cliffhangers there's certainly a lot there i yeah. mean i think the biggest thing is to see how misty's relationship with with luke cage develops um because obviously at the moment she has serious suspicions about him and of course the other big element of this is you know what what is diamondback's big issue with luke cage this mm-hmm. idea of you know a twin the older sibling you know is it just simply he feels betrayed left behind by his his, his brother or is it something more connected in with um his his mother and father or their common father at least so really really interesting to see how this all uh works out and and yes of course um yeah he mustn't have been looking in his uh rearview mirror or, or wing mirrors the the driver of that dumps dump truck um, <laughs> definitely definitely no there's definitely something different about this episode it does feel like we're starting to get into this the more standard netflix build of an episode where it gets to the last couple of minutes and you get a bit more of a cliffhanger and then you press your button to go on to the next show or most of you our listeners do anyway and thanks so much for that feedback over on our Facebook group. We did also get some feedback over by email. And it was actually an episode four, and it came from Floby, who was one of our listeners right back to to Daredevil season one. Uh-huh. Uh, she says, hey, guys, I've just finished episode four. OMG, I can't believe they worked in the yellow shirt, braces, and the tiara, and the chain belt to boot. So awesome. Keep up the great work, boys. Uh, hope really enjoying the podcast. Thanks so much, Flo. Be really good to hear from you again. Yeah, that was a, a wonderful moment in, uh, in episode four. We really enjoyed that. Absolutely spot on, you know, absolutely spot on working in that classic comic, uh, costume into something that is, you know, yeah, street level, realistic, yeah, great. Great um, work in there from the Marvel crew. And then finally, we also got some uh, more uh, feedback uh, on our email by Claire Payne. She says, well, Luke Cage doesn't disappoint. I really enjoyed his appearance in Jessica Jones. And when I heard he was getting his own show, was delighted to find out more about this great character. I actually had not heard of any of these characters from Marvel. So it has been a nice discovery. Mike Coulter is excellent as the calm exterior uh, giant Luke Cage. I don't blame Chris for wanting to go to the gym to get his muscles. <laughs> well, wouldn't we all? Um, myself, I'm at the gym trying to get Detective Misty Knight's abs. Misty, another excellent character, very believable in the role. I also enjoy seeing how life in Harlem is so different to the other parts of New York and how Luke is keeping a low pro- profile while working in Pops's barbershop to rebuild his life. Then, at night, a dishwasher at Harlem's Paradise, which has some amazing live music owned by the gangster Cottonmouth. 
As I'm new to this part of the Marvel world, I don't feel qualified to actually break down each episode and put my opinion forward on the storyline and character because I really enjoy listening to your podcasts as they've been released. I've gone back and watched the episode again. The way you cover uh, the episodes on your podcasts is outstanding. Your enthusiasm, knowledge, and your own personal opinions is interesting and infectious. So thank you, John, Derek, and Chris. It's great to finally hear your dulcet tones for covering the Luke Cage series. It's definitely a hit uh, in my house. Uh, we'll look forward to listening to the future podcasts of anything you cover. Regards, Claire. Thank you, Claire, so much for that. Obviously, Claire, um, we know from our Gotham TV podcast, and it's great that she's come over to discover more about the Marvel universe yeah. from from the DC universe. Um, uh, it, it's really good to um, have uh, new people coming over to Defenders uh, to listen to some of our ramblings, thoughts, <laughs> uh, insights, knowledge. Uh, maybe not all in that order, of course, Absolutely. but um, at least a fun chat, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So, thank you so much for for um for the feedback there Claire it's really appreciated and again thank you so much to everyone who's provided feedback on this episode and the other feedbacks it really is um so good to get uh, in terms of being able to you know share your thoughts with with the other listeners mm -hmm. absolutely so keep sending them in through our email over at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or go through the Facebook group just join facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast uh, we're always great to hear from and really, uh, really enjoyable to get your thoughts. Uh, some of them are so much more insightful than the ones we have. So I uh, love hearing them. Absolutely. And of course, remember, you can, if you so want to have your voice aired on uh, Defenders TV podcast, mm. on one of our episodes, you can... Um, leave a voice message on our website at defenderstvpodcast.com it's just there on the right hand side of the screen yeah. you can leave 90 seconds worth of audio and the the trailblazer in this regard is Ronaldo one of our listeners from Australia uh, who provided feedback so we have our first remember follow the leader as definitely. as it is and um, it'd be great to get some audio feedback that we can share as well on, on the podcast definitely and you can do that from a desktop or from your mobile you can uh, you can press the button from your mobile when you go to our website it is uh, mobile enabled as well so it might be easier for you to do that maybe while you're on the bus home from work leave a bit of a bit of feedback for us over there <laughs> thanks so much for all your thoughts absolutely thank you so much for for the feedback and your thoughts it's really appreciated and I think with that, that's toodaloo from me. Toodaloo. Now that I'm done with this, I'm going back to being the sexy domineering bitch that I always am and that you hate to love. Stop referring to yourself as a bitch. Absolutely. We're going to keep running because I'm enjoying this. That is for sure. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we will be speaking with you next time. Yep. We'll be back on Friday with episode nine of Luke Cage DWYCK. The one song by Gangstar I have absolutely no clue what those letters mean and i've been trying to work it out for weeks uh please tell me before the episode gets released i'll be uh, i'll have worked out what they are but looking forward to it and happy halloween everybody Ooh. <laughs> boo uh. <laughs> bye speak with you next time bye
You have been listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a production of TV Podcast Industries. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, please go to www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and subscribe there, leave a review, or alternatively go to any other good podcast catcher and search Defenders TV Podcast for Android users. Leave a review, subscribe, and this really helps independent podcasts uh, to be found out by other interested listeners. Also share uh, our podcast updates on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or any other social media platform. Uh, You can also join us on Twitter at DefendersCast. You can join us on Facebook, join our group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Come and join the community, enter into the discussion, leave comments and feedback. If you want to get involved in the podcast, you can leave feedback at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or alternatively, you can leave a voicemail on our website at www.defenderstvpodcast.com. 90 seconds long and be an uh, audio part of our podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you again soon.